and we beheld his glory. I want to talk to you today about what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? The text we're going to look at is John chapter 3, and we're going to look at 10 verses. John 3, 1 to 10. You know this account, such a famous uh, account from John's gospel. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, whenever those words come, they only come from the mouth of Jesus, and it means he's about to say something really important. So that before he just says it, he wants the attention of the person to whom he's speaking. Truly, truly, get this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Four. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I think Nicodemus knows that that doesn't work. But he's trying to get at something with Jesus. Five. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. Now Jesus is going to talk about this born again thing in different words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, so born again and then born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's just all you have. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And then these strange words, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nine, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? The, the whole conversation. How can these things be? What are we getting at? What are we talking about? I don't get it. Ten, a, a kind of a blunt answer from Jesus. Are you a teacher in Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And I don't know, the implication, it does not feel to you like Jesus is saying, you should know this. It's quite a passage. One of the advantages of working through a whole book of the Bible is you're, you're kind of forced to deal with connections between passages. You can't look at texts as though they're just floating, suspended, unconnected from one another. You kind of have to look at the whole story, not just a part. If you just study, if you just study isolated texts, it's like watching one inning of the World Series. You're not getting the whole picture. 
In our text today, a man comes to Jesus with, with questions. Good questions, to be sure. But I think to understand this account of Nicodemus in John 3, you need to back up the bus and you need to look at the last maybe three verses of chapter 2. That's John 2, 23 to 25. We looked at this last Sunday. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, there's the word. That's what we're studying. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not, there's the not word, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man for he knew what was in man. Okay. Now in the account of Nicodemus, the apostle John zeroes in on one of those people who were impressed with Jesus because of the signs that he did, 2.24. Jesus makes that very clear in 3.2. This man came to, John makes it clear rather, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, we know that you are a teacher from God. Look, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, okay? So here's a guy coming. There's that crowd. They're all impressed with the signs of Jesus. Jesus isn't impressed with them, though. Text says so. Now, one of those people comes to Jesus because he saw the signs. And the reason this insight is important is John's going to unpack this subject of belief, faith, if you want. He's going to unpack it in this third chapter of John like it's unpacked nowhere else in the New Testament. John 3 is the belief chapter. The whole chapter creaks under the weight of references to belief and believe. Let me just give you some quick examples. I could pile them up. If I've told you earthly things and you do not, then how can you, if I tell you heavenly things? 315, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but this is scary. The wrath of God remains on him. It just sits there. It just sits there. Well, you can see it, right? Believe, belief. What does it mean to believe in Jesus, God the Son? John already told us at the end of chapter 2 that there were many who believed in his name when they saw the signs. And then 24 says, that didn't impress Jesus. This is where our text comes in. Jesus is going to tell one of these people, Nicodemus, what needs to change in his thinking if he's going to, 3-3, if he's going to see the kingdom of God. You have to get belief right if you're going to see the kingdom of God. So in other words, I, I assume Jesus is saying, all of us here in this dark room, 
we have to be right about this, right? You have to be right about this. Why not? Well, because if you don't, you can't see the kingdom of God. And I want to see the kingdom of God. I want to enter the kingdom of God. Belief matters. Let's look at some points. One, this is obvious from the passage. The Judaic faith, represented by Nicodemus, is inadequate for entrance into the kingdom of God. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, here's what he says, we know you are a teacher come from God. There's a problem with that right there. For no one else can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can we get close to it? Nicodemus and Jesus clearly aren't on the same page. Nicodemus, like a lot of religious leaders before him, he recognizes there are some teachers They come from God, and they give God's truth to his people. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. That's what that ruler of the Jews means in 3.1. He's a a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest uh, study, legislative body. He knew all about the teachers and the prophets genuinely coming from God to bring revelation to the people. He knows that because Nicodemus has spent his life studying the teaching of the prophets of the Old Covenant. He's a deeply religious man. He's a deeply religious man. The heart of the issue is found in that phrase in 3.2. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. And, and what Nicodemus means by come from God and what the apostle John meant in John 1 when he said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, are worlds apart. I mean, a lot of voices have come from God in the sense Nicodemus meant. There have been prophets aplenty. But only one came The way the Apostle John means when he spoke of Jesus, the word was, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this is the first issue, not just in sequence in this passage, but also prominence. Nicodemus simply must be made aware. He must get right in what sense Jesus has come from God. And the issue is, Jesus didn't come from God the way Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, and a host of other prophets and religious leaders came from God. Jesus comes from God as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Nicodemus is not there. So Jesus wasn't sent the way Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist were sent. And and Nicodemus' proof... We need to think about this. Nicodemus, this account is there to show us that a person can know a great deal about religion in general and miss the life-changing point 
of who Jesus is. Remember, we're investigating what the Apostle John means when he says verse after verse after verse about the importance of belief in his gospel. And the first point is belief or believing or faith. I'm using belief because that's the most common term John uses. Believing, if it's to carry one into the kingdom of God, it has to begin with coming to Christ, God's only son, as the sin bearer. And Jesus is going to paint some details for John in the next point. Point number two. I hope if you're here, and, and when you think of Bible and songs and church, you think of a religion. I hope I can make it clear that Jesus wants to do something deep and permanent and changing in your life that has nothing to do technically with Cedarview Community Church or Don Horburn. You need to encounter Jesus. And this point starts to unpack what that kind of belief entails. Okay, point number two. Belief in Jesus brings with it a moment of confrontation and discontinuity with everything else that constructed life up to the point of conversion. Those words aren't in the text. Those are my words. But, but I think the concepts are in the text. The key words in that point are confrontation and discontinuity. Believing in Jesus requires those two things. Confrontation in the sense that the life you have lived, the life you have built on your own terms is shattered in Christ and torn up by the roots. You are called away from a lot of things in terms of the way you used to be. Confrontation in the sense that if you want to believe in Jesus in a way that gets you into the kingdom, you have to admit a lot of things about yourself that you probably don't like admitting. Pride. Materialism. A lack of love for Christ. Your inability to change your own life. You have to, there's, there's confrontation. Belief brings confrontation. The other key word I said was discontinuity. I was trying to find littler words, you know, but none that said it quite right. When I say discontinuity, I mean there is nothing in your old life that any longer forms your ongoing existence in Christ. You're not working with the old clay as you shape your daily life in Christ. Old things truly pass away before all things become New. You can see it here. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, and here's the term Jesus picks. That's the image Jesus picks. I want to talk about why Jesus chose that. He could have chosen any image he wanted. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Truly, truly, Jesus is speaking, I say to you, unless one is born, born of water and the Spirit, 
He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born, he's not leaving this image. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, this doesn't come from Charles Colson. You must be born again. Just one textual issue before we move on. Because scholars debate, let me just clean this up like that. Scholars debate what Jesus meant in that fifth verse when he said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the issue is especially to water. Must be born of water and the Spirit. To what is Jesus referring? Water. And many, particularly in Reform backgrounds and in many Presbyterian backgrounds, they consider this to be a reference to water baptism. Those of a covenant background think in terms of infant baptism, born of water and the Spirit. While others, even heavyweights like Karl Barth, see it as a reference to believer's baptism. And I have no bone to pick here. My opinion, I wish John told us. My opinion is I don't think it's very likely Jesus intends any reference to water baptism in that verse. And I just want to tell you why, in case you disagree. And you're entitled to disagree. When you get to heaven, you'll see that you were wrong. <clears throat> I find it highly unlikely that Jesus would refer to a sacrament, baptism, that wasn't even established in the New Testament church in any way at this point. No one at the time Jesus spoke these words would have had the concept of baptism as initiation into the Christian church. I do think there's a biblical reference that gives a better answer. I think when Jesus referred to being born of water and the Spirit. He was describing the effects of the new birth, first in cleansing water, and then regeneration, the Holy Spirit. I think in all likelihood, when Jesus tells Nicodemus he must be born of water and the Spirit, remember, Nicodemus is a Jew, a high-ranking Jew in the Sanhedrin who spent his life studying the Jewish scriptures. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's pointing Nicodemus back to his own scriptures, water and the spirit, and here's where I think that happens. Uh-oh, did I do something bad? Here. This is prophetically speaking, but what's going to happen with the coming of the new covenant? Okay, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Jew. Here's what I think he means by water and the spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. So that's the water part. Idolatry, all the sins when I come, I'm going to clean you, wash you with water, born of water in the Spirit in our John text. What about Spirit? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put with you. These are prophetic texts. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. 
So I think probably born of water and the Spirit. No one will know for sure. I think that fits better because, because baptism really wasn't on the scene generally in terms of initiation into the church. And because Nicodemus was a Jew, a teaching Jew, a scholar. And remember, Jesus said to him at the beginning, are you a, a, a ruler in Israel and you don't know this? Remember? Remember? I can't see you. Do you remember? Okay. So I think it's likely that Jesus is now saying, Nicodemus, you should have known about being born of water in the Spirit. It's right there in your prophetic text. It was talking about me. Okay, that's where this is going with Nicodemus. But enough of all that. It's striking to note that these are the only two times in John's whole gospel that he mentions the kingdom of God, only here. Matthew talks about it all the time. This is where John mentions it. The kingdom, he does it in verse 3 and verse 5, and we're meant to notice that it's just on those two verses that Jesus begins his comments with, truly, truly, I say to you. And what that means is, Jesus wants to arrest Nicodemus's attention before he makes the statement. He needs, he needs Nicodemus's full attention at this point. Jesus knows if Nicodemus or Don Horbin or anyone in this dark room, Jesus knows if Nicodemus misses this idea, and if I miss it and if you miss it, we'll miss the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I'm saying this to you, Jesus says. And so he doesn't just blurt out the truth. He wants Nicodemus to be ready to hear. And here's what Jesus wants to brace Nicodemus to hear. We're talking about what is belief. Belief or believing in Jesus as the Lamb of God, it's, and not just another teacher from God. It means embracing a transformation, okay? It means embracing a transformation that's as radical and as challenging and as life-changing as a baby being forced through the confining space of the opening of a mother's womb. Wow. Do you get it? Jesus says, that's what believing in me is like. Don't think of it as a little thing. Now, those words are miles from when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. What that is, is admiration of Jesus, maybe momentary excitement with Jesus. Belief in Jesus as the Lamb of God means placing trust in him that begins a brand new life from that moment on, just as surely as physical birth means a whole beginning to your physical life from that moment on. It, it, Jesus just seems vitally concerned that this faith in his redeeming personhood not be considered marginally, passively, smaller than it actually is. Got a few problems? Jesus wants to be your buddy. Come. Conversion is new birth. 
in the sense that there is no longer anything from your past life on which you are building your present life in Christ Jesus. The past is no longer the clay out of which your converted life is formed. That's why Jesus picks this image of born again. In the same sense that before your conception in your mother's womb, there was nothing with which your life was being built. So belief in Christ results in another birth, a new birth. And there are no works or merits from the old life that can be used to build your new life in Christ. It's a new start. It's like born again. It's set to reset to zero. I have found the book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Butterfield. I think that's just one of the great books that every person on earth should read. And I have found her thoughts on this subject to be just incredibly soul-searching. Listen to a bit of her story. It's a longer quote, so just settle back, but don't drift off to sleep. Here's what she says. When I became a Christian, I had to change everything. My life, my friends, my writing, my teaching, my advising, my clothes, my speech, my thoughts. I was tenured to a field that I could no longer work in. I was the faculty advisor to the all gay and lesbian and feminist groups on campus. I was writing a book that I no longer believed in. Conversion put me in a complicated and comprehensive chaos. I love that. I wondered if my life was the only evidence that Christ was alive, would anybody be convinced? She writes, conversion is a heart affair. Before we can come to Christ or believe in Christ, we must empty ourselves of the false pride, the blame shifting, the excuse making, the self-deception that preoccupies our days and our relationships. After conversion, every day and every part of the routine of my life was a faith test. Each day brought a deluge of moral choices, cults in the daily routine of a radical professor. I changed my exercise routine from intense running to active walking. I cleansed my house and office the way God was cleaning my soul. I pitched things that weren't honoring to God. I got rid of whole libraries of books, movies, pictures. I unsubscribed to magazines and professional journals. I suddenly had the time in my life to reflect. I took up gardening. I enjoyed baking bread from scratch for my friends and neighbors. I relaxed. I grew in the strength of the Lord. I forgave my enemies. I began to enjoy the daily solitude of prayer. I read and reread the Bible over and over again, searching for examples for my life. Jesus was my teacher. The Apostle Paul was my brother. I started to develop real friendship from within my church family because nobody goes into battle alone. Go to church. Sanctification, growing in Christ. It's always both personal and communal. Oh, isn't that great? I love the real deal when you see it. And the whole point, the one point you simply must not miss, the one point that made Jesus scream, truly, truly, I say to you twice, about entering the kingdom of God is this. That, what I read you, 
That's what believing in Jesus is. It's a new birth. It resets everything about your life. It begins it over. Like physical birth started your life in the first place. It's that big a change. It's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I know there are struggles. I know there are battles. But this heart has to be there. Stop yelling, John. Three. Why Jesus' saving work was offensive then and why it's offensive now. 3, 6 to 10. We're almost done. That which is born of Jesus is speaking. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. What Jesus is saying is this, that doesn't get you into the kingdom. You don't just arrive here and qualify. Because that which is born of the flesh, all it is is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And then these words, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher in Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Now, Jesus makes it clear that these words are personal words. I mean, they include all of us, but he's speaking specifically to Nicodemus. 3.7. Do not marvel that I say to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And the problem, here's the problem. Nicodemus has been trained from birth to think that he is already one of God's chosen people, Israel. So do you see what Jesus is getting at here? That's why he says, listen to me, truly, truly. It's a huge issue. Are the Jews then and now already God's chosen people? Well, yes and no. The answer is yes, if by that you mean they were the chosen ones through whom we receive the revelation of most of the scriptures and the law. The answer is yes, if by that you mean it's through the ethnic people group, Jewish people group, through whom God would bring the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. Yes, Paul says so. But then, suddenly stuff gets uncomfortable. It gets shocking. Because Jesus, 3.1, he talks to this leading Jewish scholar, this devout Jewish member of the Sanhedrin, a ruler in Israel. And he says, the answer is no, if you think that your religion is going to get you into the kingdom, because it won't. This very orthodox Jewish man stands in front of Jesus. This guy who tries to make every right decision he can make, who studies the scriptures, who goes to temple over and over. This man stands in front of Jesus and Jesus says, 
Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you're not going to even see the kingdom of God with all this stuff you've got going for you. And nobody likes to hear that. And that's why Jesus takes time to draw out this picture of the power of the work of the Holy Spirit and wind. Jesus knows he's dealing with divine truth and he wants to make it as simple as he can. And Jesus knows we can't see the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows I tend to doubt things I can't see and smell and taste. And that's why he draws out this picture of the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and likens it to wind that you can't see, smell, or taste, but you acknowledge in your experience. And the point of it all is Nicodemus, this deeply moral religious man, needs the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart. He needs the atoning work of the Lamb of God applied to his deeply religious heart. And in pointing out just how much this religious leader needs to deeply commit and trust, believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is pointing out how much we all are never in a million years with all of our religious efforts and moral good works. We are never, ever going to enter the kingdom of God unless we're born again. We all need to know what Jesus was driving at when he likened conversion to a birth experience. I don't know anything about your life, but I can tell you this. That image means you can't just drift into being born again. Just like physical birth, physical birth isn't something added to your existence. It is your existence. Your physical birth started everything about your present life. Birth is the permanent game changer and definer. You went from non-life to life in your physical birth. And nothing establishes your identity like your physical birth. It's your birth that becomes you. You have brown hair from your birth, at least naturally, ladies. You have blue eyes. You got them from your birth. You're left-handed from your birth. You're French or Italian or Russian or Canadian. You got that from your birth. That's you. Now we're talking about being born again. Billy Graham did not invent that phrase. Jesus did, and he meant something by it. How does your new birth form who you are, like your physical birth did? What has started over? What's the new existence? What life is in your daily choices from this new birth? Don't make it just words. Your, your physical life was not just talk. It actually happened. And your new birth can't be just talk either. It's a new life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit 
his spirit, Jesus. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. If no one's told you that before, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. You must be. 